<laughs> All right. Let's see. Here we go. Live. Now, if you see me looking down, it's because I'm going to be sharing this out to some groups. Right, right. So I'm off to begin with. Uh, we're interviewing Robert Riggi, and my name is Barbara Whitlow. This is Tammy Christian. We got Alicia McFadden on here. And can you tell us about yourself? Sure. You mean me or Alicia or Tammy? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> well, thank you, ladies. Thank you so very much for having me. I have waited for this for such a long time. So thank you so very much. Well. I'm a psychic medium, and I also have a master's degree in forensic psychology and clinical social work from the University of Florida. And while, my, while I was at the University of Florida, I had contacted Ted Bundy. I had asked the dean of student, uh, the dean of psychology department, and also his, and also his lawyer and, uh, and the state lawyer, if I could, if we could come and interview Ted. And, I received a letter back from Ted himself and also from the authorities and from his lawyer saying that we could interview him for 90 minutes, okay? And uh, so we can go into that later. But I do a lot of things within the paranormal field. But going back to the forensic psychology part of me and clinical social work, I was a criminal profiler for 35 years for the state of Florida. I've seen the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. And we can go into that later. My first experience was in the paranormal field is when I was four years old. It got stronger and stronger and stronger. And the things that I do within the paranormal field is that I had done many podcasts and uh, the, some of these parents of what I will call children of the paranormal, they reached out to me because they were, their children were experiencing a lot of things and they had no idea. They, they didn't know what was going on. And uh, so they reached out to me and so we all met together and I can go into more detail uh, because my journey within the paranormal field started when I was four years old in 1958. And during the 60s, I had to be very, very quiet about what I was doing. It was, it was a taboo back then culturally for us. So besides these wonderful children that I'm mentoring, I have also been involved in two exorcisms that were sanctioned by the Catholic Archdiocese of Chicago, okay? And from and and I am from Peoria, like you ladies are, and I know Lisa is from the Quad Cities, okay? And uh, anyhow, every diocese um, has a senior priest or a monsignor. Hi, Jay. Hey, brother. How are you? Thank you for watching and listening, Jay. Anyhow, they have a senior priest, right? So I contacted him. And we went to talk to Kevin, and that's another story. Okay. Okay. Also, there was an exorcism um, that was uh, that was sanctioned by the Catholic Archdiocese of Peoria and also of Chicago, and that was with Vivian. Vivian's story is completely different than Kevin. Completely different. Okay. Both are very very interesting. Okay. I also volunteer in a hospice in Peoria. Well, I was in Peoria, now it's in Chicago. And this, this do you hear that? Yeah, what is that? that? Um, every, every time I talk about certain things, like Florida and about who I went to interview and about the exorcism, things go haywire. 
Yeah, so, that was my phone. Oh, okay. Oh, thank God for that. Okay, that's good. Okay, good. It's plugged in across the room. I'm going to go turn it down. <laughs> I don't mean to be rude. She came straight from work. So, yeah. Oh. yeah that's why I look like crap. I can't. Yeah, she does that. Oh, you're beautiful. All of you ladies are beautiful. I love your spirits. I love your smiles. That's what we need right now are more smiles. You know? We do. Anyhow, so with those two exorcisms, and now going back to the hospice, there's a hospice in Peoria. Um, and how I know this hospice is because this hospice helped me with my father in the last days of his life. And they knew who I was and what I do and such like that, right? Well, when they went from working with adults to children, they asked me if I would be involved with them. And I said, of course, what a blessing. And so I'm usually called in with, to help the children cross over but I'm also there to help their parents too. So we can go into that, okay? I also do past life regression, which is very interesting. I have been regressed myself by a psychiatrist that I was working with because in Florida, I also had my private practice. And Dr. Denise, she was from Jamaica. So she has a Jamaican spirituality and everything, you know, she's cool. But anyhow, we can talk about that also. I also help a lot of folks with the grieving process. And that is very, very important to me also. So those are just some of the things that I do. I do a lot of public and private events. Right now I'm in Taos, New Mexico, learning a lot from my shaman brothers and sisters. And from January 1st until the second week in May, um, I was in, I was on the Indian Reservation, Navajo Indian Reservation here in New Mexico. And I volunteered there and I learned I, so I volunteer all over the country to serve my brothers and sisters who are in need. And also my brothers and sisters who are listening to this is that the paranormal is just part of my life. It's not my entire life. You must be very, very careful about becoming obsessed with the paranormal because right. other lives to live very much so. Okay. Anyhow. So, you know, a little about me, uh, let let it fly, open the door, and you let me know what you want me to speak on. Okay, who's going to go first? <laughs> well, um, what was your most uh, memorable experience? Oh, my gosh. Well, it had to be when I was four years old when I had first experienced my first apparition. And it was in Peoria, Illinois, where I'm from, four years old, which would be 1958. And I went to, I got up to the, go to the bathroom. It was three o'clock, but I didn't know what the three o'clock hour meant back then. I had no idea. Right. And you know, I went to the bathroom and my parents heard me and they got up and they were wondering what was wrong if I was sick. And I said, no. And they said, what's wrong? You look so different. And I said, well, I saw a ghost. I saw a ghost. And my mom, you know, being Italian and Spanish, I almost tell people that I'm Italian and Spanish. My spirituality is based on my Roman Catholicism. I don't try to convert anyone to anything. I don't care what they, you know, their spirituality is based on. It doesn't matter to me. I respect everyone's own spirituality. I do. And also, I must tell people that I'm gay. I want people to be, you know, I want people to be comfortable in who I am. That's very, very important to me. Well, so, so I told my mom, I saw Abraham Lincoln. And my father goes, oh, brother, you know, I mean, you know, just, you know, whatever. And but anyhow, I explained to them in my four year old way 
of what I experienced. And that got me into, and he was he was nodding at me, you know, and so that was an indication to me later on that what I was experiencing was correct. And then more into that. And then the next day, my mother took me to my Italian grandmother and she took me to this, I think this woman to me looked like she was a thousand years old, but she would call, we would call her a bruja, which is like Italian for witch or Spanish for witch. But she was, she, looked, she was all gray and all wrinkly and everything. But I remember she was real sweet and she put her hand on top of my head and I could feel her power. I could feel the energy from her hand going down my entire body. And then she could feel my energy going from my little body into her hand, into her body. And I began to quiver. And yeah. I, began, I began to cry because I wasn't understanding it. And she, and she called me Bambino, which was baby boy. And then she got my fat little cheeks and she was really little, little. <laughs> she was doing that. <laughs> and she told my Italian known Italian grandmother that I am very gifted. But I didn't know what that meant at four years old. I thought maybe I was gonna get some early Christmas presents because my birthday is November 21st, right? And I thought, wow, you know, maybe I'm getting early birthday presents or Christmas. <laughs> but anyhow, but anyhow, it that has to be the opening for me. I came out of the paranormal closet when I was four years old. I came out of the gay closet when I was 18 years old. And it's been a hell of a ride ever since. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a hell of a ride, he says. And so, then, and so that was, that opened it up for me. That mm. opened a different world. But my Italian family and Spanish family, you know, because our spirituality and I remember going to the cemeteries a lot with both my Italian and Spanish relatives. We just go to the cemeteries. It's like going to a park. We take sandwiches, we take flowers. It's, you know, it's like going to a family reunion. You know what I mean? And I felt have I have always felt comfortable going into a cemetery. I have always felt comfortable going to a funeral. Of course, it's sad, but still, I never and I was never afraid. And my cousins were never afraid. Also, I thought it was common for all people to go to the cemeteries all the time. You know, and later on, I learned. No, it's not. I couldn't understand that when I was little. You know, I thought they're missing out. They're missing out on the stories. They're missing out on the love and all sorts of things. And that got me. That got me started. Okay, so that got me started. And I have experienced so much. I have experienced best of humanity and the rest of and the worst of humanity. And every and this is my personal journey. And the reason why I want to do these podcasts, my brothers and sisters who are listening to this and my beautiful ladies who are interviewing me, mm -hmm. that if someone is still in the paranormal closet, I know what they're going through. I know that it's not easy. And even in 2021, there's still, there's still a bias. There's still a bigotry about paranormal. A lot of people in different parts of the country think, Oh, you must be a Satanist and you worship Satan and you, you yeah, know, do this and do that. You know, you know, and so I so I feel to to give our brothers and sisters in the pandemic closet a platform to contact me, to help me, 
and I know you ladies, if people, if someone reached out to you and needed help within the paranormal, I know you ladies would be there too. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. And so, and so I do, so I've done a lot within the paranormal field. Every journey, every, every, every situation I have been in is totally different. And I have learned, it's like a stepping stone. First, I thought Abraham Lincoln, and then later on, later on, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I began to hear spirit children in my room in Peoria. My bedroom looks like a um, cathedral, candles everywhere, right? And this one night, I, I always tell the spirits, if you're wandering around, come on in, but don't fart, burp, don't make any noise, don't do anything, <laughs> come in and be safe. Yeah. All at once, I heard shit. With my, with my own ears, I heard a spirit say shit, and I said, everybody out, flare out. And so <laughs> we all left. And about three hours later, a little boy, his name is Matthew, and he said, I'm lost. Mm. Help me. I'm lost. And that broke my heart. It really did. But no, I mean, there's one thing about an adult spirit, right? But when a child spirit is saying that they're lost. Okay? Yeah, you know, so I said, come in, you're fine here. I had, I always have, you know, because working with the um, hospice, I always have like stuffed animals that people donate to me and blankets and stuff like that, right? And so I have a recliner in my room. And I said, Matthew, come in, you're safe here. Nobody's going to hurt you. And you're going to see your parents tomorrow. But I keep you now, just to rest. You've been on, you've been on this journey. And, and I saw him psychically, and he looked like he was dressed in like early 1900 clothing. So this poor boy had been wandering along around a long time, you know? And so he sat in the recliner, and I put a blanket over him. I gave him a stuffed animal. And how I know that he was there, because I knew psychically he was, I know because my mediumship he was, but I could hear him snore. I could hear him snore with my ears like a little kid. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, this little boy is sleeping for the first time, you know? And that has happened a lot. The next day, I did cross him over, and that's another story in itself, too. But Matthew at times still comes to me, especially when I'm working with the children who are going to be leaving this earthly dimension for the heavenly dimension, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the children help other children cross over. And so that has happened to me. And just, just a lot of things. And, you know, just like people want to hear about, want to hear about Bundy. Everybody wants to hear about him. Everyone knows about him. Everyone does. Except I have just recently have talked about him and, the par and him on the dark side of what he got into. Okay? Now, Every time I mention his name, it's a calling card because he's so damn narcissistic. He wants his name out there. He wants people to talk about him. It bothers me, but the story needs to be told of these women. I'm not glorifying what he did. He is a bottom feeder, okay? I, I want to have the stories told about these four innocent women that he murdered, okay? But I also want right. people to know about how he got into this dark, dark place, okay? 
and then talking about the exorcism, like I said, of Kevin. In fact, in fact, Alicia, do you know where Colchester, do you know where Colchester Illinois is? I do. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can say, I can't say Kevin's last name, but Kevin lives about 10 miles from Colchester. Okay. I can't tell you his last name, but anyhow, I can tell you his first name. And then he lives about 10 miles from Colchester. So that's near Peoria? That's actually near Macomb. Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's hard. And, and, you know, and Tammy's right that it's hard to get to from Peoria. It is. I mean, yeah, you have to go through a lot of back roads. Yeah. yeah. And when he called me, it was three o'clock in the morning. Of course, that's not the time to go out for pizza or ice cream. But anyhow, <laughs> he called me. And, and all at once, I tend to get this horrible feeling on my left side. You know? And yeah, we can talk about that or. I can talk about anything. I can talk about past life regression and how I use that along with my um, with, with my psychology practice. Also, I must say that I I am now I am now um, uh, licensed in nine states. Oh wow! Wow, that's pretty cool. I think that, I think that we would really love to hear about the past life regressions. I know that I have some past life memories. Um, so, and, and that just has always interested me. Okay. For me personally, that I would hear, like, if we hear music or we smell something and all at once we're, we're taken back someplace and we feel very comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. That is an indication that you have lived. Everyone has lived past lives. Well, Everyone. yeah, several. Everyone has. Mm -hmm. And so I tell people that if you're just walking around and all at once you feel like, wow, I'm back there, or you feel different or anything, you're experiencing physically and emotionally and spiritually, mm -hmm. and you are going back there. All at once these memories come back. You may not understand them. You know what I mean at that time. And so I tell people, just go with it. Don't think you're weird. Don't think that you're psychiatrically ill. Just go with the flow, as they say, and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. but, for me, but for me, that I have always loved Roman movies. Being Italian, right? I always liked Roman movies. The old Roman movies, you know, the glad. Well, being being gay, you know how I loved gladiators. Oh Lord! But anyhow, <laughs> but, anyhow but now talking about that. I am now, right now, in the Coliseum at the games in the Circus Maximus. My trans, I'm a senator's son, along with other wealthy, uh, wealthy uh, folks and their sons, having a living a life of debauchery, you know. And when I was in Rome before COVID and many years ago, several times, I made a point to go to the Coliseum. And let me tell you, when I got close there, I was there. It was like I was home. It was an incredible, incredible experience. I could hear the screams of the people. I could hear the animals. I could also hear the screams of the people who were being tortured inside also. So there is a dark side also. So from, so from that, 
I, I was, I, you know, but that was a wonderful past life. I learned a lot about myself during that time. The second life that I've had, and now being fall, every time I walk through the leaves and hear them crunch, and I step on a twig and it snaps, I see myself wearing a Franciscan monk robe, and I'm in Germany, and I'm walking by him right there right now, and it's nighttime like it is, okay? Mm -hmm. Getting to be nighttime here in New Mexico. And that, that I see myself, I see myself. So anytime I hear, if I walk through these leaves, or if I hear the crunch of a branch, a twig, I take it, I go there immediately. Mm -hmm. And look at that past, first past life. It was a life of debauchery. I didn't give two shits about anybody. You know what I mean? And then now the second life. I'm living a life of austerity, okay? And then the third life that I had, this is, this is incredible to me, but I was a mobster's son. Again, living a life of, of affluency and such like that. Um, and that, and that whole thing, that truly has probably bothered me the most because being Italian, you know, and living during that life and, and helping my grandfather and other people do some horrible things to other people. I'm I never actually killed someone, but it was like setting people up. And that bothers and that bothers bothers me greatly. And then the other life that I had, I would I lived during the time of Little House of the Prairie. Oh Did yeah. You know? I, see. I like yeah. that show. That's you know? really cool. But I was not a boy. I was not a boy, I was a woman. And that happened. During past life regression, a lot of people will find out that they were their great grandmothers and I'm talking to a male, right? And that happened, okay? But here I was a female. And it's like, okay. And I see myself like walking in a, um, like a wagon train, those type of things, right? And so, and so about 25 years ago or so, maybe 30, I, my gay friends and I went on a wagon train in South Dakota. We, and it was like, it was like a hundred queens, whatever. And uh, we were dressed up in the garb and everything. And we were on a wagon train that started out close to Mount Rushmore. And then it went over into the Powder River country, which is in Wyoming. And it was beautiful. But all the time that I was there, I was back there living, living that life. It took me back there immediately, right? That was that life, and now this is this life. And I, by the grace of God and the universe, I have learned my lesson in life. I will not come back anymore. My lesson in life was that I must understand that I cannot do everything for everybody. Yes, I, yep, yep, because they'll walk all over you. Right. And when you, got, you have to conserve some of your own energy. Right. Your own. And when you have a big heart, the people that have big hearts are the ones that get stomped. Right. Right. And a lot of times when people ask me to do a reading, a lot of times I will see all this baggage around them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that to me is, especially as moss and dirt on it, that we have stuff. They have stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. Right. As Jesus says in the garden, that our spirits are strong and the self is weak. The body can just take so much before it starts manifesting itself getting sick. You know what I mean? 
and a lot of our brothers and sisters are on the back burner. They think that they, they think they can heal, heal the world. You know, this one time I saw, uh, many times, I saw these people that I'm helping and they, and they could have, they could be in a room with a million people that would treat them beautifully, right? Mm-hmm. One loser, that loser would be attracted to them and vice versa, you know what I mean? A lot of times I see people that their backs look like Christine. And that is an indication to me that they've been stabbed in the back over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they put their name on a mat, a floor mat, meaning to me, of course, that people have stepped over them, walked over them. They have well, and we them. also, if we're at a certain frequency, that's, you know, we have to keep our frequency higher. That's what we're going to attract. Right. Very much so. Yes. It is. Exactly. And people don't understand that. People don't, you know. I understand it fully well. Okay. <laughs> you know what? You know, that our brothers and sisters want to be Annie Sullivan. Annie Sullivan is the one who taught Helen Red uh, Helen Helen Reddy, please, Helen Keller, um how you know how to sign and such, right? And so there's a syndrome called Annie Sullivan syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I know that when I graduated from school from the University of Florida that the professor, several professors said, you folks think you're gonna go out and save the world. You're not, because you can't. We can help one person at a time. You can't save everyone. And even the people that you're helping may fall through the crack. Yeah. You're powerless over it. I'm powerless over that. Yes. And, they, and they said that, and for me, I thought, no, that's not gonna happen. Within six months, I was burned out. Yeah. But I'm glad that I learned that then. You know what I mean? I'm glad. Hey, there's Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey, Robert. Hi. How you doing, Robert? Wonderful. How's those ribs? They're they're healed. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> no, no. But I'm talking about the ribs that I brought. Oh, they're still in the freezer. We're still waiting for you. Okay. Well, I'll be home in a couple of weeks. Okay. Okay. Still got the brats too, <laughs> Mark. Um, and then, um, and then I'll bring some pork chops too. Okay, how's that? Good. But anyhow, and so, and so I learned early on that I can't save the world. I can't. You know? No, no. That was difficult for me. You know. And when people come to me for readings and such, I tell them because you know what I do. I combine my mediumship and being a psychic along with my psychology experience and everything. And so I combine them. But I don't pigeon my hole by saying to these folks, this is what you need to do. What I suggest to them, I give them several options. This is a path you can take. This is another path. And this is another path. It is up to you to decide what path to take, not me. Right, exactly. And when we think that we can save everyone, that's, I mean, that's something we don't realize. We're trying to control something that we have no control over. Right, right. And, you, right. you know, not everybody's your friend either. You know, I was yeah. very gullible many, oh, God, years ago until I woke up finally that not yeah. everybody's my friend and that I can't save the world because right. I'm overdoing it, helping everybody else and not thinking of me. Right. And, that, and you know, and that's fine. There's nothing... That's not being selfish at all. Some people say to me, Robert, what you're talking about is so unchristian. And then I say to them, you know what? Christian hypocrisy knows no bounds. Amen. It is very, very true. You know, it is 
very true. You know, I know I'll probably get a backlash, you know, by saying that, but it's very true. Yeah, you can't make everybody happy. Uh, uh no, we can't. You know, and so I tell people is that you have to love yourself before you can love someone else. Yes. You need yep. because it is so easy to love someone else, my brothers and sisters, but to love ourselves, sometimes we can be our own worst friend. That we can we lo we can loathe and hate ourselves more than anyone else can. Okay, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> You know, Robert, that's, I was going to say something to the fact of that, that sometimes when we think we're going to save the world, we need to start by saving ourselves. Exactly. And then when it comes to forgiveness, we can forgive everybody else who treated us like dogs, right? But the person that we have to forgive is ourselves. Mm -hmm. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves for allowing other people to treat us like dogs, to treat us like dirt, okay? But it is very difficult in our society to forgive ourselves. It yeah. really, really yes, is. It is. It is. Because we're taught that's selfish to put ourselves first. We're taught, yeah. Very much so. So, so like I said, that I help a lot of people within the paranormal field. I give my telephone number out constantly. Whoever wants to call me, if there are any questions at all, um, I'm available. You know, and Barbara and I have talked, Alicia and I have talked, and such like that. And let me tell my brothers and sisters that whatever, when someone calls me, I believe in confidentiality. What we speak about stays here, it goes no place else. Okay? It doesn't. And also, Jesus, and I'll get off the soapbox soon, but you know, but Jesus in South Africa. You know, you know that Jesus said, you know, Jesus said that we didn't have to like everybody. He said to love them. Love and like are totally Very different. Very different. Yes. 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 You know, so I love my brothers and sisters, even if they treat me like crap. I still love them. Do I like them? Hell no. You know, you know, but, but I still love them. Okay. But, but like what I have done within the paranormal field and how I learned my lesson in life. And we're all here to learn the lesson in life. And if we don't learn it, me personally, I believe that we're going to have to come back until we learn a lesson in life. I don't believe in reincarnation. What I believe is that our spirit, our spirit will come back. Okay? Yeah. Because, you know, because if I believe in reincarnation, I, I, I probably would have come back as a hog or something. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Might have been easier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, do, they do say hogs are smart. Oh, yeah. If you're lucky, Robert, you'll come back as my dog. Oh, and I you take care of the dog very well. Yeah, yeah I'd like spoiled. to be a cat too, because cats are evil. No, I'm kidding. No, they just you, they don't they, they don't, don't have care. to care. They don't care. Right. So one of so the question that I have um, for those spirits that aren't reincarnated the ones that are here on you know the planet us why do you think they're still here i think they're here for many reasons one of them is i think that a lot of a lot of people will die unexpectedly that mm -hmm. has a lot to do with it also i believe because of their loved ones still grieving for them and mourning for them they keep them earthbound and that's why i'm helping mm -hmm. People like my friend Michelle, who may be listening to this, she lives in Ohio, 
And I helped her from the grieving, there was a grieving process that had turned for her into the mourning process. And her son was still here walking the earth and he wanted to go. He wanted to go where God wanted him to go, but it was difficult for her to let go. Most yeah. people think that if you let go, you're forgetting them and you're not, not yeah. at all. No, but we must let go and allow them their journey, okay? Mm -hmm. I know my gravestone, if I have one, maybe not, I don't know. What I wanted, put, I wanted to say, I have now begun the greatest journey of my life. And boy, I, I've had a hell of a ride in this lifetime, but I know that when I leave this earthly dimension and wherever I go, <laughs> oh my God, it's gonna be a hell of a ride and I'm ready for it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, we just read a comment that was really funny. Yeah. Daryl said, I'd love to come back as a mosquito to irritate the people that irritated me in my life. <laughs> I always said I wanted to be a bird so I could shit on everybody that hurt me. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> oh, wow. But, but anyhow, and so now you know who I am and what I do. And and like I said, I've done many things and we can talk about Bundy at another time if you want to, because everything is really, really going well. I would like to speak about the children if I can just briefly. Yes, yes. Yes. And so I don't know how much time we have left, but the children that have, that the parents have reached, that the hospice, let's talk about the hospice. That's what I want to talk about right now. Is that the parents know who I am and what I do within the field. They know that I'm a Catholic spirituality. They know that I'm Italian and Spanish. They also know that I'm gay. I want everything. I'm very transparent. I really am. Okay. Because you have to be. You have to. And so I usually get called in hours, maybe six hours before these children leave this earthly dimension for the heavenly dimension. And several times, I meet the parents first. And then, and then I will go into the room where the child is. Sometimes this little boy says, what has taken you so long to be here, to be here with me? He had no idea that I was coming. His parents never said a word at all. And so that was a connection immediately. And what I usually do is I cut my mustache off, my eyebrows, my hair, my head shaved. I want the children to know that I'm in solidarity with them. And I want them to know that I'm with them 24-7, right? So they look at my balls and they look at the oh, eyebrows like me, you know? And um, anyhow, and so, but just being with these children, playing the guitar, and we sing songs, I bring coloring books, and I tell them about angels. I tell them, and a lot of kids, when I, a lot of the children haven't been to church for a long time because of their illness, and I understand that. But they, but they do know about angels. And so I talk about angels and I always say to them that I can only be with you part of the way. But this beautiful angel is going to come and take your hand. And this angel is going to you to a place, to a place, to a park where you can go play basketball, where you can run, where you can go swimming, you can play soccer. You can, you can do all sorts of things in this beautiful, beautiful park where you're going. And you're also going to see the children that you were in the hospital with. 
that are there waiting for you. And and someone asked me one time when I was doing a podcast, Robert, you cry with them, and if you do cry, don't you think that's upsetting to them? I said no. I said, oh my God. I said to be with a child, child who's six or seven years old, who is leaving this earthly dimension in just a minute, just an hour, and not cry. Oh my God, that's not right. They have to see our emotions. Yeah, because and, then it allows them to release those emotions. Yes, and sometimes the parents will say, Robert, why don't you get in bed with them? You know, and so I will, and I will hold them. Now these parents have been to hell and back, okay? They have already begun their grieving a long time ago. Billions of tears, silent tears. A lot of these families that I've been with brothers and sisters is that they cannot have another natural child. A lot of times the only child they have <laughs> have another child. And so they, they get into bed and hope them and so I do because by this time, like I said, the parents are spent emotionally, physically, spiritually. They're drained. They really, really are. Well, one time a parent asked me about. Um, about Be right back. Okay. And the parents. I'm, would, I'm still here. I just have to plug something in. Okay. Well, I came unplugged. Actually, it was already unplugged. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. And the parents would ask me. Do you think it's selfish for, for me, this is the parents asking me, out of the earshot of the child, do you think it's selfish for me to say that I want God to take him home now? I said, no. Oh, my gosh. That is, that is the most loving thing. Yeah. The loving thing. So then they're know? not suffering. Yeah. Right. And so the children, and so several times, all at once, they'll be my brothers and sisters. He's bright light. And this bright light will just flash. I see it psychically, but a lot of times the parents see that and the child sees it. And the child will go, ooh, what was that? And the air in the room will change. There is like a warmth. There is like love. It's not saying that the room is not full of love, right? But after this bright light, I feel the warmth. I feel the love. And the child's respiration will begin to change. Okay, their breathing, their heart rate. And that's when I tell the parents to get into bed with your son or daughter and tell them to love them because very, very soon you're not able, you're not going to be able to converse with them verbally. You can talk to them all the time, you know what I mean? But to have them still physically with you, this is the time. Because later on, I don't want you to say, I should have, would have, and you know, could have. Those regrets are horrible. So they will get into bed and they will, and so they'll ask some of our kids, will go, Robert, you're not leaving. I say, oh, no, no, I'm still here. Because a lot of them will say, you're not, you're not going to leave until you help me on my journey. Because you talked about a journey, like a vacation, you know? And I said, no, I'm here to help you. So I usually get behind the bed and I will just go ahead. You know, and interior with you, I'm talking to them about things and just go with it, right? All of us are beautiful angels. Some of the angels have wings because some of the children will say, Robert, this, this angel doesn't have wings. 
And I said, some of them don't. And that's awesome, Danny. Yep. And and so then and so then they come closer and closer, and the child's respirations are changing even more radically. And I said, you know, and then I tell the child like lupus or animals, and I tell them all, and I said, very soon this angel is going to pick you up, and this angel is going to take you to the most wonderful park. And they don't know the word paradise, but they know the word like park, or they'll know the word heaven, you know. And so that's how I explain heaven is and paradise is like going to a park where there's no more doctors, no more needles, no more pain, you know. And um, he's just getting closer and closer, and I can feel the air change even more. And sometimes, like I said, the parents are able, they don't actually see physically through the angel, but they know that something's changing. You know what I mean? You know, and the angel then, and his heart rate, he can slow down. And the angel then, I have seen this psychically as well as with my own eyes, that the angels will pick these children pick them up and carry them. But you know, my brothers and sisters, so granted, these children are in no more pain. But to hear a mother and father sob and weep for their child. Oh, God, that would kill me. You know? And to hear that. What I do also is that I suggest to the parents that, you know, because we are, we are, we come from the old Christian family tradition, most of us do, right? And a long, long time ago, we used to bathe a relative who had died, right? And I said, what you can do is that you can bathe your son or daughter one more time. You can do this physically for them. And most of the parents will do that, okay? They'll run a bath and carry the child in there and bathe the child. They talk to the child. I step out to give them some privacy. They talk to the child, they cry with the child. But that is such a feeling thing to do that they know that they did something one last time. And so they bring the child back and they dress the child. And also, also, people, I'm, I don't know if people know this or not, but if someone is within hospice, that you don't write the time, the time that we think they have. The hospice nurse has to come in and do that. It could be hours later, you know what I mean? And there's no autopsy either. When somebody's in hospice, there's usually not, there's usually not an autopsy. Anyhow, I, so I meet the nurse at the door and everything. I always write down what time I thought the person was asked just to give her some idea. But anyhow, and then she calls them more today. And remember working with Davidson Funeral Home and Wilton in Peoria. And I always meet them at the door and say, please, I know that you have to put this child in a, like in a body bag, and I hate that word, but that's what they use, right? And I said, you can put the child, allow the parents to put the child in, but do not zip it up. Don't zip that up. Never. And so I tell the parents that's going to happen. And so they come in, their parents put the child into the enclosure. They don't zip it up. 
And then I suggest to the parent to carry the child out to the vehicle. So they carry the child out to the vehicle. They put the child in, you know, in, you know, in, you know, in, in the back of the vehicle. And then it's still not zipped up yet. Because most little people don't zip it up until they're out of ICOT, right? Because this is the time for them to talk to them one more time, to give them a gift. And so I tell them, take as much time as you want. And so they do. I step away. This is their time. And when they're ready, they'll come to their leave. And then when they're through the door, then I tell the moisture director, now you can zip up You can zip up Never one. Only one time in theory that happened where the mortuary folks did not go through and when I asked them and they zipped it right up and said, right in front of the parents. It was a horrifying thing. Anyhow. So I help the parents afterwards. I stay with them as long as they leave me. A lot of them ask me, have asked me to do the eulogy. And so I will go to the funeral and I will speak about my experience with this child. And I'm very honest. I'm very honest in what I do. I'm very honest that I'm a psychic medium. You know what I mean? And then I'm there to help these children as well as their parents, you know? And I've been with many adults also. And I, and I was with my father and I took care of him for many years. And something called terminal restlessness. I don't know if you know that, what it is, but usually 12 or 24 hours before someone passes, that the person's body is trying to survive, but there's another part that is dying. It's called terminal restlessness, and they just can't, they just can't settle down. They just so I told my father, I said, Pop, I need to go lay down for a while. Now. And so he said, Okay, go ahead. And, um, but in my father's bedroom, our problem was changed into his bedroom because he wanted to see people going to see about the country and everything and see the animals who and whatever. Anyhow, I laid down for a while, then all of a sudden my spiritual Robert was up, wake up. Um, and so I went there and, and there was like a light in the room he was at. I could see my brothers and sisters were listening. I could see this beautiful, what's the word I want to say? Not but beautiful, um, oh my gosh, it's like smoke. Why? From him. It was beautiful experience. Excuse me, it wasn't pink. I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. And it was beautiful to see that. And I knew within time that my would pass and do it. And a lot of hospice nurses were talking about this myth. You know, being with these children and, and what's really a, with really with these children that are long before them. I think it's on Mark's side. It's what? It, it was on Mark's side. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I have I have noises occurring in my office right now. I've had someone tugging my shirt. I think I know who it is. Okay. I heard I heard someone walking around. Yeah, okay. I think I think Brittany's here from the bookstore. I heard a voice. Yeah. You guys hear the like a little girl voice? Oh, she's, you know, she's been tugging my shirt now for the last 20 minutes. Okay. You know, a lot of times when I talk about the things that I talk about, a lot of times those spirits will come to me on the door with me, but and then also come to the people who I'm being interviewed by. Do you know what I mean? You know? And but anyhow, so that's what I do within hospice and and it is wonderful. But can I speak briefly now about the children of the paranormal? Or do you have questions for me? Does someone have questions? We are, we're enjoying listening to you. Yes, we're just sitting here mesmerized. <laughs> oh, don't, don't, don't be mesmerized, please. please don't, don't be. You know, it's a good mesmerized. It's not like a bad mesmerized. Like, we're oh, okay. like, we're not. <laughs> so does anyone um, watching the live have any questions for Robert or any of us before we continue? And sometimes it's a delay when they ask. Okay. Right. Okay. So hopefully, I mean, we got someone on here from South Africa. I think Thanks. somebody from the UK. And oh, yeah. Daryl just made a comment to Robert. He says, "I I have no parents left. What in the event or me having to leave or going to greener pastures? I would love to have you by my side as I cross over. Love the work that you do." Well, thank you. So much. Take my telephone number and call me three zero nine. Two one three zero three two five. Okay. Three oh nine two one three zero three two five. Call me please. Okay. Or you can message him too. Yeah. In his Facebook. Okay. I want to talk briefly about the children of the paranormal. Okay. These, like I said, I came out of two closets. Gay closet when I was eighteen, the paranormal closet when I was four years old, right? But again, during that time in the 60s, that I had to be very careful talking about the paranormal. 50 years prior to that, our culture was into seances, tea leaves, tipping tables, and all sorts of things, right? During mm -hmm. the 60s, our culture, our culture and our society was changing of where there was a civil rights you know, movement, there were women's rights, there were gay rights, all sorts of things going on. The Vietnam War was, was going on. Kent State was really shocking me as a child to see American soldiers killing American students. And a lot of our brothers and sisters are too young to know that, but that, yes, that did happen. And also to see dogs attacking children, black children in the South. I was a little kid and that broke my heart. It really broke my heart to see that. And so culturally, we were changing. There was Vatican II for us Catholics that, that was changing everything in our lives. But anyhow, with these children of the normal, that these parents didn't know what to do with them. Oh, how cute. <laughs> Her dog's a retard. Oh, don't say that. Oh. I'm just kidding. Oh. That's my dog. That's my puppy. Mm. But anyhow, so then the parents reached out to me. And the cat just moved the table. 
Oh, thank you. oh, Alicia, thank you for smoking. I can't smoke in the resort where I'm at, so thank you for smoking. Oh. I appreciate that. <laughs> but anyhow, I can smoke outside later. But anyhow, so <laughs> smoking. And and and, and, and you know, in Illinois, that we can smoke pot without being arrested and such like that too. You know, but here in New Mexico, being oh, being, oh my, he's all right. He's okay. okay. You know, being here out in New Mexico, you know, and being out with uh, my Native American shaman friends, which I'm with every night, and I'll be with them after this time. There's always a bonfire. They always take me horseback riding. They have taught me about so much about skinwalkers and about all sorts right of things. You know? But sweat lodge, I've been in, I've been in 66 sweat lodges. And let me tell you that, and smoking peyote, because we can legally, because that's part of their religion. And wow, that has opened my mind up even more. You know what I mean? But anyhow, I've learned a lot. But these children, are, and tomorrow I'm going to be with them. In fact, I'm going to be giving a talk tomorrow in, uh, with 250 of um, our Native American brothers and sisters. They know that I volunteer all over the country, like in Greenwood, South Dakota, we have the Lakota Sioux and Ogallala Sioux. And they know I've done that a lot. And so tomorrow they want me to talk about my paranormal journey. So I'll be doing that tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that. And again, going back to children and paranormal, the parents will hear me. And like I said earlier, that some of these children have attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. Children, and they were both hospitalized and they were in critical condition because nobody would listen to them. Their parents. And I understand that parents are busy. I understand parents have to work two jobs. You know what I mean? They're working all the time. A lot of times they don't have, they don't have time for their children. But please, my brothers, please take time. Take time. I, um, and, and I've done many seminars on this, on this. It's like that if we allow our children to come to us with the most trivial things when they're smaller, our children will learn they can come to us the most important thing, okay? Mm -hmm. Because if you child away early on, they learn not to trust anyone. They start having trust issues. They start having abandonment issues, and God knows what else, right? But anyhow, and so these children have been pushed away, not because their parents didn't love them, their parents didn't know what to do. You know? And then the other two children that began to self-mutilate themselves. Mm -hmm. And so reached out to me and I went to visit them. It's not that I'm wealthy that I can afford to fly all over the country. A lot of times they did help me pay my way to see them. Okay. But again, what I do, I do for free. If someone wants to give me something, that's fine. If they want to say it for, hey, that's even better. Okay. And so these parents and these children and I meet. There was one I can tell her name. She was in Chicago. Her father is a corporate lawyer from Chicago. And her name is Brianna. She may be listening tonight. And Brianna can move things. She was 14 at that time. And now she's 17. She can move things. And her parents were scared shitless of her. Really, they were scared of her. You know what I mean? And she also saw ghost dogs. She saw ghost dogs. Right? And so she's telling them about everything. Now, one must realize that there are certain times in our life that we are going to experience 
in my in my experience, to experience the paranormal at a higher level, then man, when boys and girls get to that point where they are hormonally changing, their heart, testosterone, estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. That will change a lot of things also. They have all this energy, right? But with Rihanna, she was in the sports and she was at that age of like turning into a woman as a player or whatever. And she just had all this energy and she didn't know what to do with it. But it was coming out by moving objects, you know? And so anyhow, so her parents said, Robert, are you sure that's what it is? You know, is it telekinesis? Yes. And so I said, this is how. And I said, so I got into a room with, room with her parents. And I said, Brianna, there's a hairbrush here in front of us. I want you to move it. Within seconds, it was moved. Mm -hmm. Wow. And her, her, uh, they had seen that before. Because she had moved trees. She, if she just thought about something, she could move it with her mind without even saying moving it. It would move. You know what I mean? But anyhow, and so working with her and working with her parents and being I knew that she was not psychiatrically ill. I Danny, knew that. Actually, Danny has a question. Connor, he says, Robert, what do you think about the professionals? and other paranormal researchers who believe that there are no real children spirits, that children that up, that up here are actually demons in disguise trying to gain sympathy to, to we can you, it says, but when I was an investigator, I believe that and really ran into any children's spirits. I totally, I don't believe that at all. I do not believe that at all. Granted, granted, can the evil one mask themselves as anything? Of course, of course they can. But in my experience, there are less demons out there, as people will say, than regular spirits, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not every day. Oh, well, they must, you know, they must be demons going out of the house. Oh, please. And these damn ghosts, these damn ghost stories on TV, I can't take them anymore. I was ready to put hot pokers in my eyes if I watched another ghost again. Really, that's a God's truth. I can't take that anymore. You know what I mean? That just drives me nuts. I believe in I believe in kids' spirits, child spirits. I really do. So I also believe that the demon, devil, Lucifer, whatever you want to call them, not gonna say any other name. They mask themselves. Of course they can. Of course. Well, you can test those spirits too. Yeah. But the, the majority of also, one in my experience, you know, this is my experience that a lot of times that they could be 35 years old, you know, when they died, mm -hmm. the spirit will come back as a child because emotionally they were stuck for some reason early on. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Probably some kind of trauma. Yeah. And so anyhow, so working with these children as a paranormal is very interesting to me. I have talked them to open clothes, okay, the spirit world, right? And how I did that for myself 
because going to a Catholic school in Peoria, and my parents would never say that to the nuns, whatever, but when you see somebody waving out, uh, you know, spirits, you know, out the window and everything, and they're walking in the classroom, you see them everything I did. And this is what are you looking at? I said, uh, I said, I said, there's spirits out there waving at me. Well, before I knew it, I turned myself on the floor because she slapped the hell out of me. And she goes, don't be lying like that anymore. Don't lie. That didn't even stop it more and more, right? You know? And she knew what children were doing. Okay? And so being with these children, but how I learned how to turn it on was the teacher would say for a, a teacher anywhere would say, okay, class, it's time to open the book. Time to open the book. I gave them a book, didn't say this is any type of book. And I and it was flowing. I said, open the book. And when you're done, you close the You tell the spirit to come open, and you close them. It took it took the younger kids a shorter period of time to learn how to do that than it did the older children. So that was incredible to see the younger kids teaching the older about them. But now these children, these children know how to open it. And I always tell them also to cover themselves. Most people who are psychic medium, empaths, intuitives, they can, they, they visualize very well. Mm-hmm. And so I tell them, these children, that visualize white coming down and covering yourself. Mm-hmm. I said, think of snow, think of cotton, the whitest that you've ever seen. And that'll go down the entire body. And so these children are so talented and they're so gifted. And to see that, and now, you know, with the, with the, with the dawning of cell phones years ago and stuff like that and computers, the children have other children's telephones, telephone numbers. And so the children can interact with each other. They Zoom. Their parents, if they have any questions, of course, they can call me. The children call me all the time to see how I'm doing and when they're going to get together again. And so the networking is so important to these children. And so I love doing that. I do. I have brought the children to the Pollock Center. You guys know the Pollock Center in Peoria, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I brought them there because some friends of mine own that through the uh, JFL and everything. And so anytime I want to do that, I always can bring them there and stuff like that. And, they will, and I've taken them to cemeteries and, and they really get a kick out of that. And their parents come with us, okay? And some of these parents are very poor, but I'm not gonna let anyone who cannot afford to come where we're at, we all collectively, it's not that I'm wealthy, but all of us put our money together so we can all move, so we can all move. And so it it is a very, very humbling experience for me to be with these children and to instruct them 
and have a lot of fun with them, to cry with them, to laugh with them, and to cry and laugh with their parents. Their parents are so happy. They're so, they may not understand the paranormal side, you know what I mean? But they're not scared of it. They're not frightened of it, you know? And a lot of times their parents will call, they'll say, Robert, could you please tell him to close the book? And I said, well, I will, but I said that, and so we FaceTime our Zoom, right? And I said, and so the child will come on, and I said, what's going on, you know? And, oh, you know, I, you know, I was just playing around, and I said, no, no, you don't play around with the spirit. You don't. And I, every time I see them, I always instruct the children, it's not a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be careful. You close it, and you only open it when you're ready. Mm -hmm. But just don't open it and close it, open and close it, open and close it. I said, don't do that at all. Okay. But anyhow, these children, these children are are very, very special to me. They really are. These children are doing beautifully in school. At one time they were getting B's and F's, and they're doing beautifully now. You know, and but just to see their parents relief on their face, you know, that my child is not trying and let me tell you that if I had any inkling, any inkling at all that the child was psychologically ill, I would be the first one to take them to the psychiatrist or to a child psychologist. Very much so. But these children are far from being far from being psychiatric. So when it comes to children of the paranormal. And when it comes to the children in the hospice, they're very, very close to my heart. You know, and, and, and for me personally, I do a lot of public and private events. You know, I do many readings. And like tomorrow, I'm going to do this 250 of my Native American peers, explaining, explaining to everyone of who I am and what I do within the paranormal field. And I just. I am who I am. I am who I am. And, you know, and, and you can love me or hate me. And I understand that. I always, say, I always tell people that we need to agree to disagree, but we need to do it civilly. Right. You know, and so we talk about paranormal unity. And, and I see that at times. And people are so territorial. You know what I mean? Oh, you can't go there because that's mine or whatever, anything, you know. And, but you know that. But the sisters who are listening to this, that, in my opinion, that most groups who don't have a damn dime to their name, and maybe they just have an EVP machine, they are so passionate about it. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's wrong to have all the equipment, not at all, but a lot of groups don't. Okay? But those people, those folks, those groups, they don't have an EVP machine that they're so passionate in what they do. They're very, very passionate. And also I tell folks that when they when they go do a residential, that you must take the time to talk to the family who's in need. To mm -hmm. talk to let them vent. Oh my. To let, to let them vent and what's going on, right? And we almost we all have to remember that when we do the investigation, oh, how pretty. When we do the investigation, that we may not get a thing. 
And that's not saying that the spirits aren't there because the spirits do not come out like circus animals. Right. Yeah. Okay? People must understand that. And also, you must validate that the people are experiencing because it is their journey. It is their experience. When I hear some of these groups say, well, we went in, we were there for six hours and we could get anything, so there's nothing there. Bullshit. Bullshit. You're doing yeah, it. Just because they couldn't connect doesn't, it just, right. sometimes it's just like personality right. uh, complex. Maybe they just didn't feel comfortable. Right. And I said, but don't, but you must validate what the people are experiencing because, again, it's their experience and not ours, you know. And usually when I do an event, and tonight I didn't have one with me. I was going to buy one to store and I forgot. I always bring an onion because the onion has a lot of layers, right? And you have to begin to peel the layers off of the onion to get to the core of the situation. I usually ask questions. I like to go in cold, as they say, right? Into a house or whatever, you know? And so I can pick up on different and then, and, and then when I speak to the person who owns the building or speak to uh, the homeowner, I will ask them some questions, yes or no, that's it. One of them is, when did this begin? Recent history to me is like a year ago, right? Or six months ago, right? And they'll tell me, this. because I, I want to pick up what's going on. I don't want them to see me, but I know everybody wants to tell their story. And they really do. And I understand that. And I give them time, I give them time to do that. Okay. And so then I asked them, what was happening during this time? Was there a death? Was there some traumatic thing going on? Was it a divorce? Was it um, a, a move? What was going on? Were you doing any construction in the house? You know? Because it's gonna be a common thread. Because in my experience, Paranormal things just don't happen for no reason. Right. It does happen at times, but usually there's some upheaval, there's some anger, frustration, there's construction, there's all sorts of things, okay? And also what I usually do is that when I speak to a family, it's just not for one night, I do follow up with them. Okay, it's very important to be following. It's very important. Also, that I helped a woman in Houston, Illinois. She was obsessed with EVP. Her her husband had passed, and she wanted to. And she was watching these ghost stories, which is very crazy. But anyhow, she. She was watching these shows and they always use the EVPs and everything. She was just fascinated with that. And so she got an EVP machine. Darn <laughs> <Your> cat. <laughs> and anyhow, and so it's then. Either this or him meowing really loud everybody. <laughs> That's why I pick him up. <laughs> oh, well, it's fine. But anyhow, and so. She missed her husband so greatly. She got an EVP machine and she began to use it. And all at once, she began to cut her family off. She became so obsessed with thinking that she was talking to her husband. She was talking to all sorts of people. It was She would spend 24 hours at times 
she would not sleep. Not at all. She became so obsessed that her life became EVP in the spirit world 24 7. You know? Yeah. Her family was so very, very worried about her. She never wanted to see her children. She never wanted to see her grandchildren. She didn't play she didn't play cards with the girls once a week. You know what I mean? Go out to lunch. And and she just cut herself. They reached out to me. She was in Pekin, Illinois. And Pekin, Illinois is not my favorite place either. But anyhow, I have a lot of <laughs> there. And um and but anyhow, and so she allowed me to come in and talk with her. And it took about I would say two months, almost two months, to get her away from the EGP and have her integrated back into society. Mm -hmm. It was hard. She became so addicted. It was like somebody to booze, somebody to drugs, someone to food. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know? But eventually, eventually, she got away from that. But she knows at any given time that she, becomes, she can become obsessed again, right? right? She's with her family. She's with her children and grandchildren. She's playing cards with the girls again. And she understands what she was doing was really killing her physically and emotionally. So my brothers and sisters, we must never become obsessed with anything, paranormal or non-paranormal, you know? It's just not good for us. Right. So now you have some of the things. So Robert, yeah. wherever our group goes, wherever the host ghost team goes, for some reason, when my younger sister Barb and I um, enter a, a residence or a, some kind of a commercial property, I don't know what it is about Barbie and me, but man, the kids flock to us. Mm -hmm. The children's spirits flock to us. And I mean, at first I was, I was kind of like the guy that was uh, chatting here. I was like, wait a minute, are these actually children or are these demons in disguise? Because I've always heard the demons disguise themselves as children. Right. But like, why, why do you think a child, if a child passes away, I mean, let, let, let's talk about the child that's in my office right now. She's been tugging on my shirt for a while and trying to get my attention. Okay. She passed away late 1800s, early 1900s from the measles. Right. Okay. And her name's Brittany. And she, um, I picked her up at a bookstore here in Peoria, the book rack. Right. And our, our group actually went there and we've discovered how many girls, like 20, 23. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, there, there, there's a classroom full of children's spirits in this building. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not just in the bookstore, like Monocle's Pizza is next door to the bookstore. And I was talking to the manager. She says, oh, we have styrofoam cups fly off the shelves all the time. Just you just see it. Right. And she says, I, it's like kids are playing, you know, they're like pulling practical jokes on us. And I, so why do you think a child um, would stay behind? I, I think that the child, the spirits who were left there, they were imprinted there. Okay. Before it was a bookstore and whatever, it was something else. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was a doctor's office. Right. Okay. Okay. So a doctor heals. Right. They were probably given candy that, you know, that would give you a shot or whatever. 
give me medicine, we're going to give you some candy, okay? Mm -hmm. Something like that. What I'm sensing, feeling, Mark, that both you, you know, both you and Barbara, it's just the fact that you have very good heart and they can feel that. The children can feel that. The children can feel the love. The children can feel safe with you, okay? And so those, and those, so those spirits, and it's great that some of them, in a way, it is great that some of them are with you now in your residence, but just the fact that they need to cross over. Mm -hmm. They really they do. I've know? been trying to talk her into crossing over for weeks and, and and I use my spirit box and I can hear her talk to me on there. And she says that I look like her dad. And I've right. told her, I said, I understand, but you understand if you cross over, if you go into the light, your dad is waiting for you. And she literally told me, I know, I'm not ready. Oh. Okay. Well, again, there's nothing that we can do. If they're not ready, they're not ready. You know what I mean? You can't force someone, you know, physically or even in my spirit, you know, just say, okay, it's time to go. And you can't do that. You right. Know? And I mean, she said all the kids at the book rack bookstore, they love it there because they love Stacy. Stacy's mm. like a mom to them there. Right. She's a very nice lady. Right. And so, you know what? And the spirit, the child spirit or any spirit is going to stay where they feel love, where they feel protected. They're not going to be hurt. Okay. So a lot of them don't want to cross over, you know, because they're enjoying themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so if you're not really bothered by having Brittany with you, allow her, allow her to stay until she's ready to go. And that may be never. That may, that may never be. You know what I mean? But it's just a fact that these children know that then when they're with you, okay, that they are very loved, they are protected, okay? And so I would just, I, I would allow that. You know, I would allow that. You know, a spirit, when the spirit is ready to be crossed over, they will cross over. And if somebody's, you know, good, just like us going to a bar or going to an amusement park or wherever, is that if we're having a good time, we don't want to leave, right? We don't want to leave the party. We wish the party would last for eternity. You know what I mean? And so the children are the same way. Okay? So allow, yeah. these children, allow these children to be with you. Granted, we would love to have all children cross over. But again, you can't make them. Right, right. And, and I do agree with you, Robert. I mean, it. I don't like watching the TV shows. Um where all, all these people want to do is go out and find demons. They want to find evil entities. You know, it's just, I hate that. no, no, right. you know, that's, that's, that's not what we're into. I mean, yeah. I mean, if we go somewhere and there's something that's in a, in a, a bad mood or a foul mood, we deal with it. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, we've, we've definitely got the crew here with these three ladies to deal with uh, whatever comes around. Right. But, um, you know, and we got Nathan, who's a demonologist. So, you know, so, I mean, and there's been, believe me, there's been places where we went in or, I mean, one night we went down here to Springdale Cemetery with Alicia. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, Nathan, Nathan doesn't scare easy. Okay. But there was something that came across his SB7 and he looked at me and he says, pack up, we're going now. And I'm like, what? And he called Alicia on the walkie talkie and told her, pack your stuff. We're out of here. Wow. Okay, can you, hey, Mark, can you explain to me what that machine is? Because I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. 
What is that? Can you tell me and our brothers and sisters who are watching, listening to this, who may not know what this machine is, because I don't know what it is. Oh, a spirit spirit box is like there's the SB7. Um, Barb's got SB7. Nate's got SB7. I've got an SB11. So okay. they scan radio frequencies of white oh. noise. Right. It's right. that thing you see on TV. Goes. Right. You know. Yeah, right. and the spirits can manipulate the white noise and communicate through the device. Okay, because because now I know that there's a device out that doesn't have that white noise, that you don't hear that at all anymore. Do you? Do you, do you yeah, do you it's an obelisk. Oh, that okay. So they're different, correct? They're different. Yeah, an obelisk. An obelisk is a is a. It has a computer generated voice, so you don't actually hear the spirit's voice. But when oh, they communicate, it'll come on. Right. Um, the problem with a lot of obelisks are is that they the memory chips in them that they're programmed with only have a certain amount of words. Oh, okay. So if the spirit says, um, you know, um, I don't know, behind me, it might come across the obelisk as find me. It's something similar to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you literally, you literally end up playing a game of charades in a way, trying to figure right. out what they're actually saying. So that's why I just use the SB. The difference between SB7 and SB11, the SB11 has two radios in it. So you can scan both FM and AM frequencies at the same time with the 11. Oh, I Yeah, I've, not, I've never used any of that, any of those things. Well, we get most of ours, uh, if you watch any of our episodes or any, or any of our film filming or Facebook Lives, we use our REM pods. So the REM pod has four LEDs on it. He has a green, right? He has right. a yellow, it has a blue and a purple. Mm -hmm. And we tell the spirits, blue means yes, green means no. Right? So we out, we'll ask him a question, and if it goes to blue, we know they're saying yes. Thank you. Okay. And, during, and during the conversation we have with them, it, it makes sense. I mean, we're actually talking to an, an intelligent entity. Right. Well, I really works too. Um, actually, I thought, you know, I'm just going to just try this. And Tammy has a really cool tree in the backyard. It's very, it's got a lot of energy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to ask it. Green means yes, you know, red means no, or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. And it, um, it did it. It actually was answering us. Yeah. So we thought, heck, we're going to do this for now on, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to respond to Jason's text here. He says he's not fine, not fond of the SP11. Um, the SP11 um, does pick up a lot of frequencies and a lot of radio stations. So what I did was I took the back off of mine and I literally took the antenna wire off of the antenna. So if anything is going to communicate through it, it has to be very close to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the only thing that I have ever used is the old flashlight. You know what I mean? Use the flashlight. Yep. Many, uh, many years ago, there was a murder-suicide in Pekin, Illinois. I don't know if you guys heard of that or not. Probably. No, okay. I haven't. You can go ahead and talk about that if okay. you want to. Okay. It was, it was a young man who was psychiatrically ill, but he was also possessed. 
And I'll tell you how I know about that. But he killed his grandparents. He, oh, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible death for them. What he did with their blood outside of the house, it had demon things all over. Mm -hmm. It was, they did not paint that over until a couple years later. But the whole house in Beacon, I think it could maybe the, the demon house of Beacon or something like that, or the murder suicide house. Anyhow, the niece had reached out to me and said, Robert, we need your help because my uncle was still there and he, they wanted to you know, do things, whatever, to the house. And I said, don't tell me anymore because I had never heard about it until she called me. And I said, I don't want any more about it. Anyhow, so I go there and do a cold walkthrough and oh my God, the energy, the evil, the negativity, it was terrible. You could feel it, you could touch it. It was horrible. Mm. And just going in there, I had to get out of there. I could only be there for a period of time and I, I, had, I had to get out, I was getting so drunk. Yeah, it'll drain your energy. And then I would go back. Yeah, too. Anyhow, that kind of reminds us of the house in uh, on Lake Street, Barb. Yes, exactly. And in this house, that he had, yes, he killed his grandparents. He he hacked them to death. He did. He hacked them to death. He decapitated them and all sorts of things. He masturbated on his grandmother. I mean, he did some vile, vile things. Oh, God. And, um, and so, but then he went downstairs, and I didn't know where, nobody told me of where he committed suicide, but I was drawn to downstairs, right? And I went to the place where he got, where he got on a chair, which makes no sense to me. And he got on a chair, and he got a gun, and he found him. The bullet hole was still there, and there was there was human tissue still in the hole that the, that the hazmat people never got. They had to come in because they're so bloody inside of the hole, and you could even tell there was still blood stains. I had gotten some because I wanted to see that see that for myself, and so I used luminol with the black light and everything, and the place was just covered. But horrible. Downstairs in this young man's cave, basically, he had this, he had this huge um, um, door, but it was made out of steel. He was made out of steel. It had no windows in it, and that was his bedroom, right? Anyhow, he did a lot of what I found later on. In the Scandinavian culture, they play with bones. Do you, do you know that? Do you know what I'm talking about, Mark, or you folks? That instead of like um, instead of like using tarot cards, they will use bones. It's like runes, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. That. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, he was into that. And so anyhow, and the evil was still there, and they wanted to sell the house. First, they had to first they had to get rid of all the on the outside, demon house, you know, stuff like that, and everything. And, but anyhow, they wanted to sell the house and whatever. They tried to go, go in and clean it two or three times because the blood stains were still there. And so they asked me to come back. And so I came back with a team and the, and the, oh my God, 
And if I would have known you guys back then, I would have called you guys. Because the team that I, there's only one of the few teams that I knew in Florida. And it was horrible. They didn't have a, they didn't have any idea what they were doing. You know, eventually I said, listen, go home. I'll find my own way home. Their ego was off the chain. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. You know, every time they got an EVP, they just went wild and giggly and stuff like that. I was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And, but anyhow, so they left. And I was with the niece and his brother. So it'd be another nephew and his brother. And so we did a session. We did a session down in his cave. Okay? Now, the dork and the police had taken the lock off. So there's no way that we could have been locked in this place. Not at all. Okay. And that was that was one thing that I was worried about because we shut the door, the damn thing locked, we can be there for you know for whatever. And anyhow, yeah. and, and so I had brought a big crucifix with me. And that's another story. That that's in Cana, Illinois. And uh, but anyhow, and it was it the air was so thick. Was so full of negativity, frustration, and anger. Okay, we did the flashlight, you know, and I said instead of me asking the question because you knew your uncle, you asked the question, and so they did. I could feel the uncle's presence there. He did not want us there at all. It was pure evil. And I know that all of you probably have something so you know how that feels. You know how draining that is. You know how 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 your body reacts to that, right? So the flashlight was on. And you know, and so he said, and and so his cousin did it. And um, or his aunt did it, it was his nephew. And I said, do ask the question. And because one of the questions is. Michael was his name. Michael, are you with him? Turn off the flashlight if you're with him. Now, they were far from the flashlight, and so was I. This room probably was, it wasn't very big. Probably like the size of a jail. It was pretty small. And so anyhow, if you're here, Michael, she said, here, you're here, Michael. If, it's, if you're here, turn off the flashlight. And within seconds, and it turned off. I know that I was thinking, well, you know, that could be a lot of things, right? Okay. And then he asked the question, did you turn off? And if it's no, if it's yes, then turn the light on, right? And so anyhow, so are you here? And the light turned on. Okay. But let me tell you that during that time, during that time, the gentleman that I was with, he was in his 20s, he became oppressed by his uncle's spirit. He, his face came. Inside the room, the smell, the scent, the sulfur. It was incredible. And so, and so then he began to exhibit lots of anxiety. Mm-hmm. He began to exhibit aggressive behavior towards me. And I knew that his uncle was coming to him. 
And so what I did was we need to take a break. We need to go outside, get some fresh air before this even goes any further. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very careful. And so we went outside, had a cigarette. 45 minutes later, we go back into the room. I asked folks if they wanted to continue this, and they did. And the gentleman apologized to me. He said, Robert, I just know, I just remember some things that happened there. I don't remember being aggressive with you at all. And he was a big, burly man, right? Big time. And he began to cry. And he goes, Robert, I'm not, he goes, Robert, I'm never going to hurt you. I'm just happy that you're here with us to get some places to do that. Your session lasted at least four hours. We started at 2.30 in the morning and it ended in the summer. And his uncle is so prevalent there. His friend never wanted to cross over all this, never did. The time that I had these crucifix on the wall, it fell off and it should have not fallen off because I had it secured there, right? It fell off. But just a sense of the sulfur of dead animals. And at one time, everyone heard this. You heard the gun stop. You heard the gun going off of Poppy Children. Everybody heard that pop. And once you ever hear a gun go off, you know what? And that was most, that was incredible. It was the grandparents are at peace. They're in heaven. Trying to talk over this man. It was difficult. And truthfully, I didn't know I did not want to cross him over. But they wanted him out of the house. You know what I mean? They wanted to sell it. They wanted to move on with all this crap, right? I did not want him in the first place. I am not his judge. I'm not his judge at all. He was psychiatrically ill, but also do I believe he was possessed? Yeah, because of the things that he was into, okay? But again, I'm not his judge. And so, but trying to cross him over, it never happened. It never happened. I even got two other folks they were from Alton, Illinois, which is one of the spookiest places in, in Illinois and maybe in the country, you know. And they came up also, and there wasn't. Couldn't do it. Um, do you think that he's still there because of parts of his brain matter still in that hole? That could be true, too. But I did, and this is going to sound very macabre, and maybe it is, but for me being a criminal profiler, it was interesting for me. And so I got a little tube and I put some of his gray matter in this tube and I have that today. I have it under, there's like sea salt around it and all these other things, you know what I do. And um, anyhow, but I don't, I don't feel him. I'm not, never was scared of him. Um, but as far, but then all at once what happened with his family, of this woman, this young girl who reached out to me, all at once, she stopped returning my calls to me. And I thought, that's weird. Because we, we were texting and calling, you know, 
before that and after that, after these sessions. And all of a sudden she stopped. And she had, and I mean no disrespect to our, to our Pentecostal brothers and sisters who may be listening or watching this at all. But they had, they had gone to a Pentecostal church and they were talking to their minister about what had happened. Everybody in Pekin and Peoria knew about this. And so they had their minister come over and do, I don't know what they did. But anyhow, she did finally call me back and she goes, Robert, she goes, I respect what you do and I respect who you are. And I thank you for helping me, especially with the grandparents and really getting to know and, and just what we experienced with the uncle, right? But she said that the Pentecostal minister says that I shouldn't even do what I do because it's against God, you know? And I said, I, I, I'm going to disagree with him, but I did it civilly. I even spoke to him. She goes, well, call him. And I spoke to him on the phone and we met. And I said, this is what I do. My gifts and talents are coming from God, you know? I'm far from a Satanist worshiper, right? I am. But when it, he asked me what church I go to, and I said a Catholic church, and that was like a nail in the coffin right there. You know what I mean? They, they, you know, they, they have a warped idea of what Catholicism is. And but anyhow, he said, he said they never want you back in that house. And he said, and he said that I am dealing in stuff that I should not be dealing with, and that I am going to go to hell. I said, well, if I'm going to go to hell because I'm Catholic, I'm going to go to hell because I'm gay. You know what I mean? So why not? Because a double whammy right there, you know? And um, and then I said to him, you know, Pastor, with all due respect, God does not make junk. He doesn't make junk. Not at all. He made all of us in his image and likeness. Okay? And so I'm just as worthy of God's love as you are, Pastor. And he goes, no, Robert, you're never going to go to heaven because you're into this and into that. And you're and you. And he even used the word queer and was like, oh, my God, really? And I said, you know, Pastor, I love you. I said, I don't like your theology. I don't like your dogma, but I do love you. And I said, I'm praying for you, you know. And um, then he asked me if I wanted to come to his church, be delivered. I said, no, thank you, Pastor. The only delivery that's going to come to my house is Domino's, you know. And so, anyhow, and <laughs> so anyhow, so anyhow, so he didn't like that, and um, and he said, he said, I can't pray for you because you're not born again. And I said, you know what, Pastor? God bless you. But I said. Down that right but it's just the fact that he your his theology was one thing and mine was another and so i never did ever get back in that house again i never heard i never heard from these people again either but let me tell you that that's why people do not like churches and will not go to god is because of that incident that's right and just and and so like i said earlier that christian hypocrisy knows no bounds and it's very true. It does. You yeah. Know? Well, different difference in beliefs and religion has 
started many wars in this world. Oh, I know. There are more people that have been killed in the name of God than any COVID, any pandemic in this world. But you know, Robert, you said something at the beginning of your story that I really, really agree with. And that is that when the paranormal starts happening, there's been an event or something that has taken place for that to happen. Now with our group, the host ghost uh, paranormal team, uh, I know Nathan's chatting, he's spending time with his kids right now, but he's been chatting, but I think Barb and, and Alicia and, and, and Tammy could probably attest to this, that we found probably 70 to 80% of the places that we go um, there's always been a Ouija board somewhere in the house, somewhere down the line. Somebody's done something and they didn't know what they were doing. They left a portal open and voila. Right. And right. just and just, right. And just like with the gentleman in Pekin, he got into the Ouija board. And also Ted Bundy did. It's not everybody who gets into the Ouija board is not going to be a serial killer. Okay, I have to say, I have to premise that. But Ted Bundy in his dark side, which I began to tell several years ago, okay? And, but not to a lot of people. And, but he did have the dark side of what demon he called in playing with the Ouija board. And that's another time to get into his story completely, okay? Because people will find it fascinating. You can watch everything about Ted Bundy, but you will never, except one time he did say that he believed that he had an evil spirit in him. That's the only thing that you will hear him say. And for me, hearing it from his mouth, being five feet away from him, and what he did with the Ouija board and who his mentor was, it will surprise people. And so that's for another time also. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyhow, um, and I don't know how much time do we have left? I don't know. It looks like we can keep going, but um, what do you guys think? I can talk about Ted Bundy or I can talk about it in another time if you want me to. Well, you know, Robert, back when I was younger, I worked at a state prison and I met a guy similar to Ted Bundy. I, he was actually in my cell house. His name was John Wayne Gacy. Oh, yeah. Yes. I have a he, letter. From, I have a he, letter. From, he was something. He was. Yes. And he wasn't clowning around either. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, and you know what that, you know, I, you know, and so I have several letters from Ted Bundy. I have several letters from John Wayne Gacy. I have two letters from Jeffrey Dahmer. I have a letter from the son of Sam. Okay. And so somebody goes, Robert, why'd you get all these letters for? And I said, because I'm fascinated with the criminal mind. I truly am fascinated with it. You know, Scott Peterson, who killed his wife, Lacey in California, right? I write to him every every month. He writes me back. And he still, after all these years, he still contends that he's innocent, that somebody else did it. Somebody else did it, you know? At least with Ted Bundy. He said, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I killed those women, you know? But Scott, he is so narcissistic and so fucked, so, excuse me, so screwed up is that he he still believes to this day that someone else has done it. And also, if I may just talk briefly, 
that I did some internships at state hospitals in 74, 75, and 76, and 77 while I was at the University of Florida. And I always took things that nobody else wanted. Okay, so there was an internship at Woodward State Hospital School in Woodward, Iowa, that I did. There was another one at Clorinda State Hospital in Clorinda, Iowa, that I did. There was one in Phoenix, Arizona, that I did. There was also one, it was a leprosy colony, the only leprosy colony in the United States, and it was in Houma, Louisiana, and now it's closed. My point being is that I saw firsthand the abuse, the neglect. I saw lobotomies. I saw residents getting their teeth pulled out with no, no anesthesia. I saw ECTs done terribly, okay? At one of these places, there was many times there would be 200 plus people on one ward with four workers, four, okay? At one time, I was told we were gonna have popcorn for everybody. I said, oh, that's cool, you know? I thought they were gonna give bowls out, no. But what they did was they put a big sheet down and our brothers and sisters who were mentally ill and they were also mentally challenged Okay, they scrambled to that sheet like animals. Oh my God, that broke me heart. My broke my heart. I saw a young woman who was blind, and people would go up and scare her. I tried to stop that. I tried to stop the abuse. I just, I tried to stop the neglect. And they said, Robert, we've been doing this for years. One person is not going to stop this. And I said, for personally, I said, I have to, I have to say something at least. Show these people compassion, take the time with them. So I've seen the anger, I've seen the frustration, I've seen the despair. A lot of these children, they were brought there as children, right? They were left at the gates of the state hospital because back then you could. If you had Down syndrome or if you acted a bit peculiar or whatever, you could just be left there. And a lot of times these children were not mentally ill, were not challenged, but being around people that were, they began to exhibit that behavior. They began to rock, they began to tick, they began to self-stem and do all sorts of things. They began to eat their, they began to eat their own feces, all sorts of horrible, horrible things. And I saw that firsthand. And the smell inside of these places was just incredible. You know, with only four people. And I was working with the high functioning folks, right? But the other places that in, was in the state hospital, like I said, some of these state hospitals had 2,000 people in them. Some had 1,500, you know what I mean? The people who worked there did not get paid very well at all, you know? And so, only having four people with 150 people or 200 on a ward, it's difficult at best to even try to do anything. And so I tell my brothers and sisters, and my brothers and sisters who are listening, when you go into asylums, 
into poor houses. Please always remember that these people did not choose to go there. Not at all. They were surviving. So if somebody scratches you, they don't mean to scratch you. They want to reach out to you so they can have some human touch. The only human touch they know is a pop in the eye or a belt. Okay? So of course they're angry. And they have all the damn right to be angry and frustrated. They do. They were treated terribly. You know? You know, Robert, basically what you just described to me reminds me of a place that we went to. Uh, Barb can relate to this. Beatty Mansion. Where, where was it? Beatty Mansion down in St. Joseph, Missouri. Okay. okay. Um, basically, this place, they used to have a lot of brothels in town. Mm -hmm. And the prostitutes would get pregnant. And when they had the babies, they would take the babies to this house right, and just right, give right. them up. Well, these all these children grew up in the basement of this house and they were abused. They were neglected. They were tortured. And Barb and I had an encounter with how many of their spirits, Barb? Do you remember? Like 15, 20? I would say I think it was like 15. Yeah. There's and, a lot uh, of them. But there was, we found out because one of our psychic mediums, uh, Amy, called us while we were in the basement and described the room I was in to a T. Now, this is six and a half hours away from Peoria. Right. Yeah. So she says, Mark, in front of you, there's a window. And I said, yeah. And she says, right next to that window, you cannot see him. But there is a man standing there and his name is Mitch. She says he is holding all the children in this basement. He used to torture them when they were alive here. He worked there. So she told me what to do. I grabbed my bottle of holy water out and I did what she explained to me to do. And all of a sudden on the camera, we have the footage for this. You can see a silhouette of a man all of a sudden appear on the brick wall. Wow. And while we had him pinned to the wall, Barb had her boo bear, similar to this guy right here, and she took the boo bear and told the kids in the other room, follow me, you're no longer bound by Mitch, you're free. And we had a camera outside in the hallway, when Barb went upstairs, you could see, it must have been 15 to 20 orbs of light coming out of that room following Barb. Wow. And after all was said and done, um, we went upstairs and then Amy called us again and she says, they all crossed over. And I was like, it was such a good feeling that Barb and I had that we helped some kids get away from something, not a demon, but just a very bad person, you know? Right. You know? And so like, like what I've said is that I have seen the torture, like what happened in St. Joe to those kids. I have, I went to the medical center in a lot of these places. And when there's 2000 people, residents, and not very many workers, you know? So I went to the med center and what I saw were children in cages. Some of them, one of them was a hydrocephalic, had a huge head, right? And she was so sweet, but she was in a cage. 
And her head began to crack because of the fluid buildup. So they had to do a shunt. She couldn't talk at all. And she reached out. She reached out of the cage that she was in, her bed. And they said, oh, Robert, be careful. She'll scratch you. I said, I'm going to hold her hand. And so I held her hand. Maybe that was the first time that she had someone even to lovingly, lovingly touch her. You know what I mean? And the other and the other folks that I saw in cages, I will never forget. And I have never talked about it on a podcast before. If I did, it wasn't extensive like I am now because I'm tired of these ghost shows who are provoking, who who are, why did you scratch me? You know, this and that, you know, because they're not understanding or they're too damn dumb to want to understand what it is like to be in a state hospital setting. There's no love at all. No love. When everything is timed by a clock, you get up at six, you eat at 6.30, you, maybe you bathe, but let me tell you, their bathing is by used by a hose. It's just not one. They'll get 25 people and they'll hose them down. They'll throw soap on them and hose them down. The water's not warm. No, it's cold. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so there's not any love there. But let me tell you, when, when the state came through, oh my God, everybody had to be cold. Everybody, you know what I mean? They was just, it, 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 it was sad. It reminded me like in Auschwitz in Dachau in World War II, that when the Red Cross would come into the death camps, that all the once the kids got to play soccer, everything was hunky-dory, but the minute they left, they went back to torturing them. And that's what it was like in the state hospital. So I'm going to reply right now, Robert, to Stephen Dobbs. Um, I don't take any offense to what you said, Stephen. I'll, I'll read what Stephen said. He says, my problem with religion is for someone who's all loving, he sure hates a lot of groups of people. I guess he's talking about God, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. So what do, you think, what do you think about that, Mark? I look at God as a father. That's why we call him a father. Sometimes the father, we all love our children, but there's times when we have to discipline our children. Right. That's the way I look at God. Mm-hmm. I don't think God hates anybody, but if you stray off the beaten path too far from his laws and rules, I guess you want to call them, then right. yeah, you can expect some punishment of some kind. That's, I mean, I've I've been through some punishment in my life. Trust me. <laughs> oh yeah. So well, yeah. So have I. And you know what? We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of Buddha. We all fall short of the Prophet Muhammad. Okay. We right. all fall short because we're human beings. You know, we have a we have these flaws inside of us. You know, greed and lust and all these other things come into play too. You know what I mean? You know, and it's God does not cause cancer. God does not cause children to starve to death. It is it is human beings' greed that causes this stuff. Okay. Amen. 
Okay. So when I, I get so damn tired of saying, well, you know, if God was a loving God, you know, he wouldn't cause children to starve. Both, it has nothing to do with that. Because how many millions of tons of food has America given to poor countries and those poor people don't get nothing because it's the government of that country that saves everything for themselves. Yep. Okay. You know, so it's greed and it's lust and all sorts of things. Okay. It is. Let me go back to the state hospital. I know this for a fact that the, on a, a meal for one of the residents was a dollar a day for three meals dollar a day so imagine that 33 cents for every meal right yeah and when you get two thousand people in a in, you know in a place now these places had tunnels these place places had tunnels that went on for miles to connect the building and let me tell you they were creepy as hell because one time i was there in clarinda iowa during the winter time and there was a big blizzard Clarinda, Iowa is very close to the Axe Murder House in Valeska. And I was in Valeska uh, several months ago and did overnight thing there. But anyhow, it was a horrible snowstorm. And it's very close to, it's very close to um, uh, Council Bluffs, which is close to the Missouri River and then Nebraska. And, but anyhow, so we had to go in the, we had to go in, we had to go into the tunnels to go get the food for the people. You know what I mean? And there was there, that time I was in that state hospital. We all were, we were stuck there because, because of the blizzard. We were there locked down with our brothers and sisters in these buildings for 72 hours. So I know what, I know what went on. Right. Right. You know what, what really kind of, I guess crawls under my skin as far as paranormal investigating goes is there's so many groups out there that are forming right now. They're amateur groups. They don't have the experience. They don't have, of course you don't get the experience until you go out and do it. Right. Right. So, um, would you stop? Literally she just, took away everything I had on fire. Okay. Um, so anyway, when these people go out to investigate, um, like you said, they don't walk into a place and get a, you know, when we walk in, we usually know all of us, we stand there and we get a feel for the house. We get a feel for the building. Right. Okay. A lot of people just walk in and they want to, like you, like you described, they want to get their EVP recorders out, which is good. Don't get me wrong. That's okay. And they want to agitate. They want to provoke. And sometimes the entities that you're agitating and provoking ain't in the mood to be provoked. Now, two things will happen. One, you're going to get a very abrupt reaction, maybe scratched, maybe something, will, uh, a loud knock, a loud something, you're going to hear something somewhere. Right. Or they just go, they just regress back and you don't get anything. Right. And, and it's, it's been amazing how there's been other groups that have been into places that we've been into. And we go in there and the owner of the place will say, well, you know, the last two groups that came in say they didn't, they didn't get hardly any evidence or any reactions. We go in there and within 15 minutes, our devices are going off like a circus. Mm-hmm. 
and we're getting all kinds of stuff. And it's all in how you approach. Uh, I like to treat them as if they're they're living people. You talk to them as if they're living people. Now, one place I would love to take you to, Robert. I think you would love this. The cemetery over in Geneseo, Illinois. Oh, close to the Mississippi River. It's, that's the Cambridge one. Are you talking about oh, the Cambridge? Yeah, the Cambridge. Yeah, the Cambridge. Yeah. Rosedale. Yeah. There was a lady that murdered all seven of her children. Okay. Okay. Well, don't tell me anymore. I would love to go there and just okay. myself. I would love that. Yeah. I would love We'd love to take you there. Well, thank you. Also, do you know where Alito, Illinois is? Alicia, yep. you know where Alito is? Mark, you do? Over by the Quad Cities. Yeah. 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 Okay. There was, uh, many years ago, there was a young man who contacted me, and he was in active military, just got back from Afghanistan, and he was having all this stuff going on, right? And there was a lot. Oh, what happened? You're laughing. What happened? Oh, just uh, my husband walking topless in the background. Oh, I just started laughing because thought, it was like I thought you had a Chippendale review going on there. <laughs> I was so just sorry. I was like, oh my god, because I'm so sorry, you guys. Well you, know I, well, you know the giveaway was I didn't see the bow tie. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but we did lose our comments. You just yeah, the comment section just disappeared. <laughs> no. But anyhow, so good. So, but anyhow, oh, did you give him a tip? <laughs> Later. No, he oh. gave me the tip. Um, oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, so this gentleman reached out to me because he heard one of my everything. And um, and he goes, Robert, I'm experienced. I said, don't tell me I'll be in Alito. And Alito is not an easy place to get to either. It's not. It, it, it you know, just is. Anyhow, so I went there and I saw him. And what I picked up was, and I said, I'm going to tell you what I'm sensing and feeling. You just listen to me. And I said, I already know that you, you already told me that you came back from Afghanistan. You, you were there twice. I said, what I'm sensing and feeling is that you took something that you weren't not supposed to have. And the local inhabitants put a curse on you. Oh, boy. And that's why he goes, well, he goes, yeah, you're right. I wanted I wanted to take something and I did. And uh, local folks, you know, they're very they're, they're very clannish or tribes, a lot of tribes in, you know, Afghanistan. And that that's why it's such a mess. But anyhow, I said, that's what the problem is. I said, you have a gin. There's good gins and bad gins, right? And I said that you have a bad gin that is causing your electricity to go out. It's causing you to light bulbs break, things move, you're sick, you've gone to the doctor so much. And now these are the things that he told me of what I was picking up. And he said, Robert, you're right. And he go, and I said, You're also suffering from anxiety. And I said, it's not PTSD that is causing this. What's causing this is that you have an attachment because you thought it was okay to take and steal from these people. You don't do that, especially in the Middle East. You just don't. And he did. And so 
And so then I told him I would help him. You could tell, you could say the Our Father till the cows come home to get a gin off of somebody, and it won't work. It doesn't work. So what I did that I contacted the local imam, the Islamic imam in Peoria. And I told him what was happening because in the Quran, there is a place where they do perform exorcisms. Okay. And so I met with him and told him what was going on. I told him I was a psychic medium and everything. It's his name is Yosef, Joseph, a very nice man. And we're, and we're friends to this day, really a wonderful man. And but anyhow, so he told me, this is what I do. He, and so he said, you know, it's best to say it in Arabic, but I don't know Arabic from, you know, from Chinese. But he said, but you can say it in English. So he gave me an English speak, uh, English um, uh, Quran. And but he said, Robert, even better than that, I'm going to say the right of what you Christians call exorcism. I'm going to say this prayer in in Arabic. Okay, I'm also going to say it in Pashtun because Pashtun is, is is one of the major is probably even the major language in Afghanistan more than uh, more than um, Arabic is. And so anyhow, so he does. So he gives me two tapes. And so I go back to Alito a week later. And and so anyhow, and so I play this. I play this for my friend. And you could just tell the air slowly began to change. It was incredible. And so the first pair was in Arabic, and then it was in Pashtun. After two hours, his apartment, his little house, was totally different. The air was different. The negativity was gone. He looked better. And I said, what you need to do now is give me the object that you took from Afghanistan. You need to give that to me because the imam gave me this cloth to put it in and to bring it to him. And so that's what I did. And so by this gentleman reaching out to me, I, I truly believe that the majority of people who have been to Iraq, Kuwait, Afghanistan, those places in the Middle East, I believe that they have an evil attachment to them that is causing them to have PTSD. So this gentleman who I'm speaking about, and I still talk to him on the phone once a month, and he told other people about who I am. So in doing so, five other people have reached out to me. And what they all have in common is that they have taken something they stole something from the Middle East. They were cursed by the inhabitants. They, were, they had this evil attached to them that really brought them down to where they couldn't do anything. They were depressed, anxiety, those types of things. So these other people reached out to me. They're no longer on medication. I told them to go to their psychiatrist, let them know what's going on. I even went with two of them to a psychiatrist and say, listen, what's happening to them that there is an attachment because they stole something from the Middle East. 
and they have they've been cursed. Of course, these psychiatrists don't mean you know, a lot of them don't believe in that, unfortunately. But I said, listen, do me a favor. Please let me allow me to do what I do, but they have to be off the medication. But I want your approval. I'm not going to say just get off. You know what I mean? Granted, I'm licensed, but I'm no doctor, right? Right. So anyhow, so then, so they agreed. And they put it down, you know, they agreed and everything. And let me tell you, those people who I helped are no longer on medication at all. And that they were truly had an evil attachment to them that made them so depressed, made them want to commit suicide. They were so very, very anxious. And now totally gone. So, so you know that that, that kind of opens up a whole new door for me. Um, if, if let's say someone from Afghanistan, you know, some, a, a soldier from Afghanistan comes back and he, he stole two or three objects, right? right? And he's cursed and there's evil attachments to those objects. Right. So he commits suicide. Sad story. Mm-hmm. Then the family takes all the belongings in the house and they pawn them. <laughs> now someone else comes into the pawn shop and buys that object. Right. You see what you see where this is going. Right. And so, and so, and so that evil just continues. It yes. just continues and continues and continues. Yes, and it does. And so, the people, the five people that I've been with, and there's so two of them, three of them are still active military. They have told other people, if you have something that you've stolen, get rid of it, bury it, whatever. Go to your local mosque, give it to them. Okay, have someone pray over you. A priest, a Christian minister can pray until the cows come home. And it won't do anything. And it won't. Okay. Because a lot of these people, uh, like the guy from Alito, you know, is Roman Catholic. And he tried with a priest coming over and blessing him and such like that. And it never worked at all, you know. And I asked the imam about that. He goes, he goes, he goes. The jinn in the Christian world doesn't exist. You know what I mean? There's nothing in the Bible about the jinn at all. You only find nope. that, you know, you only find that in the Quran. And it's just a fact that that it needs to have certain prayers, Arabic prayers, prayers from the Prophet Muhammad. It has to have something from Allah. You know what I mean? Okay. And but in my in my and when I truly believe that a lot of people are brave soldiers who have come back from Middle East, who have taken something, I don't care if it's sand. I don't care if it's sand or anything. Okay. If they have stolen something, brought something back, that more times than not they have been cursed, that the evil jinn is attached to them, and that's why they're suffering. And so these people, these military people that I've helped, they have told others. They even went to the commanding officer and told them, you know, in the first place, he could be court-martialed for stealing something, you know, being overseas, you know. And so, and so he told other people to reach out to me, you know. And, um, and so people have, you know, and... Um, and so a lot of our brothers and sisters, our brave brothers and sisters who are in the military, they're suffering terribly. And it's because I truly believe that it was caused yep. by the 
evil gin. I do. I, I agree. And hey, Jason, have a great night. Um, you know, peace, man, for all you guys uh, at Paranormal in the Funhouse. We love you guys and Brandon and everybody, man. We love you guys. Hey, Jason. Jason is my sugar bear. Hi, Jason. I will, be, I will be connecting with you tomorrow, Jason. Okay. I haven't forgotten you, buddy. Okay. Anyhow, so now you know who I am and what I do. What you do is spectacular. Seriously. I am who I am. You know, I am not or blessed. Well, in, you know, you know that kind of goes for that goes for everybody we meet on the streets, everybody we meet at work, we are who we are. <laughs> right. You know? sweet as, long as, we can, as long as we accept everybody for who we are. Tell them sweet pea. Oh. <laughs> said, hey, sweet pea, nice. Hey, sweet pea. <laughs> right, and, and Jason is my sugar bear. Good night, <laughs> sugar bear. Love you. Um, but anyhow, and so he, and he's always called me sweet pea from the good get going. I've never met him. I've talked to him on the phone many, many times, but anyhow. But anyhow, <laughs> is there any other questions from the folks who have been listening? No, I haven't seen any more. No, I think we've, I think we've all got them like interested in this conversation, but um, okay. Nathan says truly haunted objects can be a plague on the people like a never ending virus that spreads rapidly and sometimes unknowingly. So That's true. Cool. It is. Hi, Nathan. How are you? Too bad you can't be with us tonight, but I know you're with us in spirit. You know. So Nathan, Nathan's with his his little demons. His little <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing. <laughs> Nathan I, says hello. I know Nate. I know Nathan's family from the South End. That's how I know Nathan. I, I never knew Nathan personally. Um, but I knew several of his cousins and such. So, Nathan says, yep, me and the kids baked a cake and now we started decorating it. Oh, wow. Save me a piece. I'll be back in uh, two weeks. <laughs> Let's bake a fresh one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> two weeks might be a little stale there, Robert. Unless you freeze it, you can freeze it and it'll be okay. Amen. That's very, very true. It is. But maybe next time when I'm on, that we can talk about the exorcism of Kevin and Vivian. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. And you know, another thing, Robert, is a, a question that I've had people ask me. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a priest. I'm not a preacher. Well, I can't say that no more. But anyway, um, they, they said, you know, you got all these different religions, right? So you've got Allah, right? You got Buddha. You got uh, the, the Egyptians that worship Ra, the sun god, right? We have the, the, you know, Christians, we have God, or as his name is, sometimes I've been told is Yahweh. Right. Um, correct. They said, do you think all these names are the same God? Mm -hmm. I believe they are. I said, yes, I really do. I think he just goes by many names. Yes, I do. You know, I truly do. There is a thread. There is a thread that goes in all religions. All religions will preach peace, love, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Buddha, Jesus, the prophet, 
you know, it goes on right. and on and on. Well, you, you know, know, I've got I've got an English version of what you were saying, the Holy Quran. Right. And it's amazing because there Jesus Christ is mentioned in that book over 16 oh. times. Oh yeah. Let me try and there's a whole chapter on Mama Mary. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you, they have a deep loving affection for Mother Mary. They really, really do. They do. They believe that Jesus is coming back to judge us. They believe that. They yeah, truly believe that. I know. They, they believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. They believe that, right? We have we have we are closer to our Islamic brothers and sisters than we are to Judaism. We are, okay? They call Jesus Isa. Isa is the Arabic word for Jesus. Isa, yep. okay? And and being with my Muslim friends in Peoria, I go and sometimes we'll have to go if I'm there going to be there during the summertime and go to their picnics because it's open to all religions and it's wonderful to meet with our Muslim brothers and sisters and our Jewish brothers and sisters go to there too. And the people who uh, follow the Baha'i faith, you know, Baha'i, right? The, the Baha'i faith was started in Islam. It was started in Islam. Baha'i faith is a branch of Islam. It has some still same, some common things, but it also has its own too, if that makes sense. Yeah, kind of like kind of like what Lutherans are to the Catholic Church. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. But let me tell you that they believe that Jesus was a pure boy. They believe in his miraculous powers. Okay. They also believe because Aramaic, the language that he spoke, is Judaism and Arabic together. That's what Jesus spoke. Amazing. You know, and they believe when Jesus was born that he spoke to the three wise men because the wise men spoke in Arabic. They didn't speak in, in they didn't speak in Yiddish or Hebrew. Not at all. They had no idea, but they believed that Jesus spoke to them. Okay. Also, remember, remember the story of the three wise men coming to Herod. And, and, and Herod had no idea what they were talking about, right? It is a fact that Herod was not a Jew. He was Arabic. He did not know the prophet. He didn't, I mean, he did not know the prophecy. That's why he got the astrologers and everyone else to come in to tell him about the prophecy of the boy being born in Bethlehem. That is correct. You know? And so he spoke to the three wise men in their own language because that's the language that he knew. You know what I mean? And so that whole thing is fascinating also. But my brothers and sisters who are listening to this, that if you read the book of the Quran in English, you will find, like Mark said, pages and pages about Jesus. They call him Isa, and also about Mary. They hold Mary very, very high. They do. 
They really, really, truly do. In fact, in Egypt, in the Coptic, in the Coptic Church, which is basically Orthodox Catholicism, a lot of the a lot of the Muslim uh, brothers and sisters saw the uh, saw an apparition of Mary on top of this Coptic basilica. They saw her. Christians saw her also, right? And so what they did was that the Muslims wanted to make a special altar for Mary inside this basilica. And that's what they did. There is an entrance for, Islam, for Muslims to go in and to pray, okay? And there's a picture of Mother Mary, okay? That's one thing in Islam, that they don't have a lot of statues because Prophet says that is really idolatry. And that comes from Moses. Because remember when the Moses were in the desert and they and they made this golden calf, right? So that's where he gets that from. 100% spot on. You know? And so like the five books of the Old Testament is really part of the Quran. It really is. It They go with Genesis. They believe in Adam and Eve and all sorts of things that we believe in. But anyhow, so I am helping these gentlemen, our brave soldiers, dealing with PTSD. And um, and a lot of them are doing very, very well. Yeah. You know, and so I'm glad I'm doing that. And, uh, and being Veterans Day coming up next week, I'm going to thank our veterans and also their families for everything that they have done for our country. I'm sorry that at times that America is not respectful to our soldiers, to their families, to our American flag. It sickens me when I see somebody to take a knee, take a take a knee. I'm getting too political now. I understand that. I agree. But, but, but you know, but it's just the fact that, you know, that we still live in the best country in the world. You know, we can have we can have programs like this. Okay. You know, and so we should be very and, and I know there are millions of people who are thankful for our country. But right now, my brothers and sisters, our country is upside down. And it just takes us to smile and thank God we don't have to wear masks anymore. Oh, my God, that was horrible. But anyhow, but thank God that we do live in this country. You know, of, of course, we have flaws and we do. And I understand that. You know what I mean? But you know what? Being Americans, we have gone through so much during, you know, during during the 60s. You know, I was a little kid, but I remember Kent State. I remember what was happening and such like that, right? And it was just the fact that we lived through that. And we will also live through this. We've all. Well, you know, Robert, you said tomorrow you're going to be uh, visiting some Native American people. Yes, 250. Uh, well, Nathan Nathan, and I, I, I think the girls are, are in tune with this too, that if there's anybody who's fine-tuned and i mean fine-tuned into the spiritual world it's the native americans oh yes they are i mean wow you know um and you know you you go i mean they even have skinwalkers and you know that lots of things from the native american you know just it's amazing it's very true and being with our native brothers and sisters and going into the sangre de cristo which means blood of christ uh, mountain range, which is the biggest mountain range in the United States, and going horseback riding there and talking to them about Bigfoot. And they, they believe in Bigfoot. They believe in UFOs. They don't call them UFOs. They call them another name. But it's just a fact 
that in the skinwalkers. And they always tell me to, and they always protect me because non-Native Americans are susceptible of being, have getting attachment from skinwalkers. And, but every time I'm with them, it is such a blessing in the sweat lodges and the campfires and, and everything it is. And, and months ago, I don't know if I sent you guys a picture of this, but I will, that they, that they asked me if I wanted to go into the window to the universe. And I said, sure, you know, I'm up for anything, you know, at my age, what the hell. And so anyhow, so anyhow, we went to Window Rock, Arizona, which is the seat of the Navajo Nation. And I'll send you a picture, but it's a huge boulder, huge rock. And in the middle of it, it's gone. It's gone. And he and they usually don't let non-Native Americans go inside. But because of me volunteering and they know who I am and such like that. And uh, anyhow, so they allowed me to go into the window of the universe. They were standing on each side of me. And they said, Robert, open your mind and close your eyes. Oh, my God. It was a slideshow of everything that our Native American brothers and sisters have been through. Wow. I, I smelled the smoke from campfires. I heard the beating of drums. I heard horses' hooves. I heard laughter. I heard crying. I felt the anger. I felt the hatred. I felt everything. I thought I was in there for an hour, but I was only there for several minutes. It was incredible. And I will send you a picture of that. Also, also, like I said, in Window Rock, Arizona, the seat of the Navajo Nation, and also its seat of the Hopi Nation, because their their um their ancestral land kind of run into each other. Okay. And I'm sure you guys have heard of the Hopi prophecies before. I don't know if you heard of them or not. No, I haven't heard that. Okay, yeah, I'll Google that sometime if you want to, and I can talk about it on another show of, um, about the Hopi prophecies because a lot of them have come true already. They are. and um, But also in this huge park where this boulder is in this mountain is that there is a, um, there is a memorial to the Navajo code talkers that were used in World War II. And if it wasn't for a Native, Native American Brothers, brothers that could use their language and so the Chinese, so the Japanese and the Germans could never break that code because their language is so different. So, right. So, You know, it's funny you say playing drums because we just, uh, close to Halloween, we went to a place, um, Spider Hill, they're in Chillicothe, Illinois. They have like a haunted house. The Three Sisters. We, yeah, Three Sisters Park. We went to the 1818 house. We're up on the second floor. This is the first time we went there. We're in a bedroom. We're getting lots of activity. And all of a sudden, outside of the house, we could hear the Indian drums. And it was amazing. You know, in you know, that area there, there's a lot of burial mounds, like in Mossfield. You can see them along the highway and everything, you know. That is very, very spirit-filled. I know I have been there for summer camp, you know, the, you know, the hippie fest and everything, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I went there afterwards. I don't know if Tim Cassidy, do you know him? Tim Cassidy, 
He owns Three Sisters Park. He's a lawyer. Do you know who he is? No. Okay. Well, at that time, many years ago, he owned it. He wanted people to come and clean, clean up the place. He paid his buku bucks. You could keep anything you wanted to find, right? But just get rid of it. But there were diamond rings we found, cash, you name it, drugs, condoms, pie. I mean, it was everything. Sleeping bags, KY, um, anything, anything that you <laughs> anything that you wanted. You know what I mean? But anyhow, but they but there there were a lot of things. But just to dig around in that dirt and feel that energy. Oh yeah, of, of the pioneers, so close to the Illinois River, also where there's lots and lots of arrowheads, tons of. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. That, area, that area is wonderful. It really is. So, so now you well, know, girls, you got anything to say, girls? You've been pretty quiet down there. Oh, we're just listening. We're just listening. And plus, we've been on for two hours and 30 minutes. Oh, eight minutes. Oh, well, you should have told me shut up and I would have stopped. <laughs> no. Is that, we're, just that listening. Was, we're just listening. We're like listening to both of you guys. We're like. <laughs> That's what's awesome about having you on, Robert, is you are just a plethora of knowledge. Yeah, oh, he God. is. I know. And you know what? I It's not all about me. But again, if someone is in the paranormal closet, I want them to feel that they can reach out to us. That there's going to be people who understand what they're going through. It's not an easy journey. It's not. But by the grace of God now, it's just the fact it has become more mainstream. You know, like when I was growing up, I could have been taken away from my parents. I could have been put in a state hospital. I could put a, I could have been put in the children's home on Knoxville. You know what I mean? I could have. You know? Well, yeah, back in the older days, if if a child just had, uh, you know, Down syndrome, it, it, it was not just yeah, like Down syndrome, or maybe just a hyper disorder. You know, like they're just really hyper. You know, they put you in an institution. They did because they thought that there's something wrong with you. Right now. That goes into another thing called eugenics. Yes. We can talk about that because a lot of people don't know about that. Just briefly, if I can. Or maybe, you know what? I'll, I'll save it for another time. But Google eugenics and you will understand why state hospitals were made. Okay? It, has a right. it has a correlation with, with what happened to our Jewish brothers and sisters and gypsies and everything else that yeah. happened in, in the death camps during World War II. But again, yeah. we just need to get together like we did in Mark's basement, all of us. <laughs> just talk <laughs> and eat. Yeah. 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 We got lots of, I was thinking all that food from Robert. It's still in my freezer. Yeah. We got to do some, uh, Getting together, maybe around Christmas or something. Or Although I think in a couple of weeks, it's going to be a little too cold to get the barbecue out. No, you oh, can barbecue no. outside. You don't have to stand. You can only, you can stand out there. What's the matter? You get up on stage and it's freezing out. So That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm anyway, always all right, guys. Well, I got to pop out of here. I've yeah. got a long day tomorrow. Robert, love seeing you again. Love hearing from you. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to be here. And again, always remember that we are all called the server, brothers and sisters. 
It doesn't have to be monumental. It could be a smile, and a smile will change the world. Thank you. God bless. Thanks. Yes, Bye, good seeing you again. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Alicia, take talk to you later. I think she's muted. Oh, she is. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Good night. Thank you for allowing me to be on. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for coming. It was so a pleasure. We'll, thank you. And so we'll do this again, okay? Oh, yes. yeah, we will. Most well, definitely. Part two. Sounds good. Yes. Okay. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.